0: I'm Steve Lascalzo, and This is the Way. Welcome to This is the Way Podcast's coverage of the Ahsoka series. This is the Season 1, Episode 1 recap and discussion. If this is your first time joining me for a podcast, thank you very much. I started with the debut of Disney+, Plus covering The Mandalorian several years ago. Before moving forward, you should understand something about these recaps. Yes, it's a podcast about what happens in the episode. But I'm not going to hold myself to only discussing the events of this show. If you haven't watched the Clone Wars or Rebels series, there's a chance you're going to hear about events that take place in those shows as well. If you consider that spoiler, well, this is your warning. It's possible, however hearing about all that stuff is why you're here. Maybe you're looking for some deeper explanations for what you just watched in Ahsoka and don't quite understand. Well, that's the kind of context I'm hoping to provide you with this podcast. We all owe Dave Filoni the thanks... For introducing us to Ahsoka. Yes, I know, George Lucas is the one who ultimately signed off on the character way, way back in the Clone Wars, but Filoni's not just the scriptwriter and showrunner of Ahsoka. He's pretty much the creator and caretaker of the character of Ahsoka. It wasn't a character that was well-received when it was introduced way back in the Clone Wars, but now she's one of the most celebrated Star Wars characters that hasn't appeared in a Star Wars movie. Filoni is the credited writer and director of part one. And speaking of credits, the end credit sequence does not have concept art for Ahsoka like it did for the Book of Boba Fett and for The Mandalorian. But the concept behind the art that is there, it's great. I spotted a wolf drawing and several drawings of Purgle, uh, the star charts. You know, animation was was really cool. Great job by Scarlet Letters. At least that's who I think is responsible for the end credits. The runtime shows up as 57 minutes in parentheses on the Disney Plus show page, but that's not what it takes. If you're just interested in action, you can start from the crawl and then get to the cutting to black on Lethal in about 50 minutes, 20 se- 20 seconds, 21 seconds, something like that. The thumbnail description available on the show's Disney Plus Episodes tab and the episode page description are identical. A valuable prisoner escapes New Republic custody. A search for answers reunites two old friends. Things didn't turn out the way either of us wanted. Director of photography is Eric Steelberg. He worked on the Hawkeye series and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Andrew L. Jones and Doug Chang are production designers. We mention their names a lot in Star Wars streaming. The, those production designers are working in a lot of shows. Editor Dana E. Glauberman. She worked on The Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian. And like Steelberg, she worked on Ghostbusters Afterlife. Casting by Sarah Hallie Finn. She worked on The Mandalorian. A lot of Marvel shows and movies. Costume designed by Shauna Tripsic. And I've sung her praises on previous shows like The Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian. Especially for the bomber jackets she picks out for the pilots. I'm going to mention the visual effects producer, and I would not normally do that, except I'm 99% sure that his name got appropriated for the Mon Calis security officer that Captain Hale tells to have RD3 scan Balin and Shin for identification really early in the show. Jacris, get RD3 to scan these imposters for identification. Jacris Smittent. J A K R I S Smittent. The music is by Kevin Kiner and he is prolific and fantastic. The Bad Batch, Tales of the Jedi, The Clone Wars, Rebels, Star Wars video games, The Clone Wars animated film. Star Trek Enterprise, Stargate SG-1, and CSI Miami are just a few of the things that he's worked on. Uh, Legend. In fact, he teams up with Ludwig Gorenson, and then his daughter Dina, or Deanna, and he also teams up with Noah Gorlick to produce Igya Ka, which is the song that Sabine is rocking out to while driving out to the communications tower on Lothal, Sarah Tudson is the vocalist on the track, and I looked her up. She created and fronts an indie rock band called Illuminati Hotties. The stunt coordinator is J.J. Dashna. He's been involved in The Mandalorian in the past and the Book of Foot, But also listed is Matt Leonard and then a co stunt coordinator, Natalie Padilla, and an assistant. Stunt coordinator, too, Brandon Cornell. You may remember that Dashna got to play Marshall Vance's deputy, the one that gets shot by Cad Bane in the first season, or the only season, of The Book of Boba Fett. Fight coordinator is Ming Q. She worked previously on Rise of Skywalker. And additional voices are credited as Terry Douglas, Robin Atkin Downs, Michael Ralph, a name I am very familiar with, Sam Witwer, another name that I'm familiar with from doing the podcast, Matthew Wood, and Shelby Young. One more name I noticed, Dawn Dininger as a puppeteer, one of many, but she works primarily as a fabricator. She must have also got a thing for Rodians, because she's played a few of them for Favreau and Filoni in Star Wars TV. All right. Now we've reached the cast section. What's your name, son? Ahsoka Tano is played in live action by Rosario Dawson. Ashley Eckstein voiced the character for years in The Clone Wars and Rebels. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask. But Dawson has done well in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, and does well in Part 1. I don't think I'm going to mention Eckstein in every single episode's cast section, but I do think the first time we talk about him... I think it's important to, you know, recognize where the character got its start. The stunt double for Rosario Dawson is Michelle Lee. Sabine Wren is Natasha Lou Bordizzo. Tia Sarkar voiced Sabine in Rebels. stunt double was Chow Nomova. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is General Hera Syndulla. She takes over the live-action role from voice actress Vanessa Marshall. Ray Stevenson is Balin Skull. Stevenson was a celebrated actor and voiced Gar Saxon for The Clone Wars and Rebels. This was supposed to be his live-action Star Wars debut, and it is, but he passed away suddenly earlier this year in May. Ivana Sokno is Shin Hati. New character for the show, evidenced by Hu Yang and Ahsoka's conversation about lightsabers. The construction and overall design are executed exactly the way I taught younglings to build a lightsaber at the temple. So definitely Jedi-trained. Yes. However, this one I do not recognize. Her stunt double is Alicia Vela Bailey. Diana Lee Inosanto is Morgan Elsbeth. She is indeed a descendant of the Knight Sisters of Dathomir. I wondered aloud once upon a time, and it was confirmed in the show that Elsbeth is a Knight Sister, and Inosanto is reprising her role from the second season episode "The Jedi" from *The Mandalorian*. Greetings, Sabine Wren. David Tennant provides the voice for Huyang. This is a long-tenured character that he's reprising his voice acting work for from the Clone Wars. This is the lightsaber droid for the Jedi Temple, meaning Hu Yang has seen the lightsaber construction of every Jedi Padawan for centuries. And, because uh, he's a droid, he remembers them all. Many years I have been on this ship, teaching many a Jedi before you, and I will continue teaching many a Jedi after you. Call me what you want, but inside my memory banks, I contain a record of every lightsaber ever made, and the Jedi who fashioned them. Which will you choose? A simple grip? The curved approach? One inlaid with the bone of the Cartusian whale, Bastilian ore, or black oak Well? Amon Asfandi is seen in a hologram as Ezra Bridger. The name is tossed around a lot in the episode. And he now apparently has the rank of commander, and Taylor Gray is the one who voiced him in Rebels. Christopher Bartlett is back, frequent portrayer of droids, even C3PO. He's worked on all the live action Star Wars television so far, and he does some performance uh, capture. Paul Darnell is listed as the performance actor for Marek or Maroc. Now, did we see Maroc yet? Yes, I think we saw him briefly in the episode, but not really in action. Barry Lowen, a frequent collaborator with Favreau and Filoni, several roles in the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian. And Mark Rolston plays Captain Hale. This is a Shawshank Redemption actor. It's Boggs, the leader of the Sisters, who Captain Hadley ends up destroying as retribution for Andy Dufresne. Two things never happened again after that. The Sisters never laid a finger on Andy again. And Boggs never walked again shakira barrera <laughs> her hips don't lie but first officer jensen corbett agents of shield alumni that's right we have our first one i guess of the show she played an agent king in season seven of agents of shield we'll remove your face asap sir Look at get wise agent king Clancy Brown reprises his Rebel's role as Ryder Azadi, Governor of Lothal, in live action. Rolston may have been listed first, but he's joining the Star Wars veteran Brown in this cast, not the other way around. Brown's performance in The Shawshank Redemption as Captain Hadley is iconic, but it's his voice that's the distinctive part of his persona. Brown was the voice of an Inquisitor in Tales of the Jedi. Berg the Deveronian Merc in the live-action Mandalorian Season 1 Episode Chapter 6, The Prisoner, and Savage Oppress in the Clone Wars series. In addition to that Star Wars work I already mentioned, he's voiced unnamed characters for Rebels, Clone Wars, such as a Slave Master, Rebel Pilot, Factory Worker, a Stormtrooper Commander, Imperial Officer, a Stormtrooper, a Mandalorian Super Commando, a bounty hunter, and a night brother. Twenty-two episodes of Star Wars television for the man, so bravo. You are that smart banker would kill his wife, aren't you? Why should I believe a smart banker like you? So I can end up in here with you? Matt Law plays Captain Porter. Bonnie Wilde voices the navigator droid on the scuttled New Republic transport, and she's like Matthew Wood, someone in the sound department that gets the nod because she's already working as part of the group. And, you know, they need a handy voice. She's worked on so many projects for Lucasfilm and Marvel, so congratulations to her for adding to her work in Rebels, The Clone Wars, and The Bad Batch with a live-action voice in Ahsoka. Kat Kuei Chen is one of the Khan's officers, or at least she's credited as one of them. Helen Sadler is the HK assassin droid leader that confronts Ahsoka on Arcana. How's that for a mouthful of words? This is the voice of Rey in Lego Star Wars, in the games and in the shows. She's done more, like she was the Ishi Tib Guildmaster in the Book of Boba Fett. She was Jen Erso in the Forces of Destiny shorts. Lots of video game work, including the Elder Scrolls Online and SwoTor as Commander Onri. David W. Collins is the Home 1 Comms Officer. He's got tons of video game voice acting to his credit. Also works in the sound department and music departments for Lucasfilm. He was the one that was calling in Ahsoka while she was on the ship. Vinnie Thomas plays Senator Jai Kel. It's a character that we've seen before in Rebels, but Thomas takes over for Dante Bosco, who voiced it in the animated show. Michelle Weaver is credited as Lieutenant Callahan, and there's just so many names, so... All right, let's let's get through that, and let's get on to the show. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move on along. Move on along. things start off with a drum beat the Lucasfilm slate and Star Wars helmet sequence and a crawl I feel like I heard about this and then simply forgot about it I was very pleased to see it though it was non-traditional it scrolled from bottom to top without heading to that point out in space my wife watched the first episode with me and before it started or as it was starting she had questions like when's this supposed to be happening and What's going on while this show is taking place? The Crawl does an amazing job for the viewers of setting this scene. Since it's there, I'll read it. The evil Galactic Empire has fallen, and a new Republic has risen to take its place. However, sinister agents are already at work to undermine the fragile peace. A plot is underway to find the lost Imperial Grand Admiral Thrawn, and bring him out of exile. Once presumed dead, rumors are spreading of Thrawn's return, which would galvanize the Imperial remnants and start another war. Former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano captured one of Thrawn's allies and learned of a secret map which is vital to the enemy's plan. Ahsoka now searches for the map as her prisoner, Morgan Elsbeth, is transported to the New Republic for trial. Okay, grammar issues aside, that's a terrific table setter. Ahsoka's still on mission, and we know it takes place after Chapter 13 of The Mandalorian, which was Season 2, Episode 5. Where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Elspeth is being transported on a Moncala Star Cruiser, maybe an MC-80? It is not the MC-80A Home 1, because that is the ship that this one is waiting for. And did you know Home 1 is the ship Admiral Akbar commands in Return of the Jedi and it's where Chewie, Luke, and Leia volunteer to accompany Han to Endor's moon for the mission to destroy the shield generator. It's the same ship. Well, again, not the one at the beginning where the good guys get stomped. It's, it's the one that they're waiting for. Now, I don't know if the astromech that's on the bridge has a designation or that the navigation protocol droid does, but I get the feeling from what follows we don't need to know. The ship approaching is, I think, an ADA-class shuttle. So the color and the cockpit make it different from a Lambda-class that transported the Emperor to the Death Star and the one that Moff Gideon escaped from in The Mandalorian Season 3. It looks more like a pre-Empire jedi shuttle again an ada class what's the word com i'm receiving their signal now sir they're jedi say again the signal is an old jedi clearance code this captain played by mark Carlson, he's so arrogant i wouldn't be surprised if this guy was a former empire official i mean i love how the entire bridge turns around when the comms officer announced they were Jedi, and I love that the captain is, like, skeptical, and he's, like, almost upset that people are like, oh, what Jedi are here? Surely, people by now have heard about Luke Skywalker and what he did, and that there are Jedi left scattered around the galaxy. I mean, at one point, they were, like, kind of like a a myth, but they're not common still, and furthermore, they're not expected here. This, This ship shouldn't be meeting this far out in space, except maybe that's why. Maybe it's specifically to dissuade an attempt to rescue their prisoner. He's pretty sure they're not Jedi. Technically, he's right. He takes this small security detachment to meet the guests, and it's a terrific entrance for Balin and Shin. They look the part, and honestly, the closed captioning indicates Balin is a Jedi, according to the closed captioning. This captain is, again, so smarmy. So dismissive in this meeting. You put on a good show, but uh, I don't buy it. I don't understand. You're no Jedi. Just some overconfident Imperial trash who just pushed their luck too far. I mean, wow. He could have just had the Mon Calajacris and RD3 scan them right off the bat. He could have said, hey, scan them and tell me who these people are. When Balin interjects, Allow me to show you our identification. The ensuing action is from the trailers. I mean, New Republic security is getting slaughtered. I am not an Imperial or a Sith sympathizer, but does it get any better than lightsabers swinging down a spacecraft's hallway? I mean, some of the best scenes are that. The calm of Balin. It's kind of like the Norse wolf he's named for, one who mocks Skull. And it's probably the one that chases the moon in Norse mythology. He's got the silver hair, and at night, all is calm, and night is most often cool and quiet and associated with skulking and evil. And then there's the hot, hot heat of Hati. She's blonde. Probably modeled for the wolf that chases the sun then, and she is the one who hates Hati Hati burns with anger and hatred and is rash and impulsive and acts with open aggression, like out in the sunlight. You're right about one thing, Captain We are no jedi. <laughs> I don't think we need to get into too much Norse mythology, but it does help, and it does flush out these characters a little bit. There was a reason that they picked the last names Skull and Hati. Well, these two make short work of those in their way, and Balin, interestingly, doesn't need a droid or a key for this lock on Elspeth's cell door. He just uses the force to open it, and also her manacles. Elzabeth is just sitting there waiting like she expected him, which she says as much, and as they're walking out, she tells him, the Jedi that captured her knows about Thrawn and seeks the map. Who is this Jedi? Ahsoka Tano. This is when we get the title card, Part 1, Master and Apprentice fitting when you consider just how many are shown in the episode, not just Balin and Shin. There's Anakin and Ahsoka are kind of referenced. Kanan and Ezra are kind of referenced through Ezra. Thrawn and Elspeth, specifically mentioned. Hera and Sabine, kind of implied. And then Ahsoka and Sabine, heavily implied. The next scene is among ruins on a planet we'll find out later is called Arcana. Without a superimposed graphic, I have to thank Filoni for telling us during this episode. Because many times, it's hard to find this information on the first day if it doesn't appear in the captioning or on screen. So I appreciate that. Ahsoka is going to go Indiana Jones in the ruins. and you know, Maybe she senses this chamber or she just comes upon it. As we saw in the trailer, she makes a really cool entrance into it. It's something we saw her do before in the Clone Wars. The spinning sabers in the ground opening up a hole. She finds a puzzle. And at first it seems like it was a reference to Mortis. But all three of the figures on the wall were cloaks. And they looked like they were female. In hindsight now, it follows that this is a night sister Temple. But the drawings that look like sky charts on the wall on the ground. And the repetition of the number three. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been a map to Mortis. It could have been the, I mean, it ends up being a Night Sister uh, temple, but and I do wonder, do the Night Sisters, since they're like force wielders that aren't Sith or Jedi, do they have some kind of connection to Mortis? Since it's a powerful place and a concentration of the Force? Now, I know you're left in the dark a little bit. Mortis is a Clone Wars series of episodes. It's really out there. I mean, if you're a Star Wars movie purist, this few episodes of the clone wars is super out there now i don't want to spend all episode and all series talking about all these episodes that you need to watch to get this show but the way this map is mystically directing to a galaxy outside the one we always reference in a galaxy far far away makes me think maybe the night sisters which is a group of force wielders who are not sith and they're definitely not jedi it's an ancient order maybe they just studied the stars and studied these Purgles' use of hyperspace. Now you saw Purgles in live action in the Mandalorian when grogu and Mando were you know flying through hyperspace you could kind of see them in the you know through the force wall or through the, the tunnel the force tunnel. Well I mean that's what we're talking about these creatures are able to travel through hyperspace in space. By themselves, no engines, no nothing. So, maybe these Night Sisters could track where these hyperspace lanes are that the Purgle take, and that's how to track the ones that took Ezra and Thrawn into hyperspace at the end of the show Rebels, which sets up this quest that Ahsoka and Sabine want to undertake. I know that's a lot, and if you watch all those shows, you'll understand a lot more about it. But just know, this map doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it kind of does, but there is an explanation. If you watch those shows, there's kind of an explanation about why there would be a map leading to this place. It's not specifically to Thrawn, I don't think. I think this ancient map is telling us how to travel where the Purgle go. I could see they need gas to breathe and travel. The crater wasn't their home, just one stop on a long journey. I have to admit, without the help of the Pergill, we never would have gotten off the ground again. Oh, look! <laughs> They can travel through hyperspace. (laughs) We better get moving, too. Back to the fleet? How about we follow the pergil? Okay, so the unlocking of the Chamber's secrets, it's slow, methodical. It's okay. I mean, we just need to know, how is Ahsoka knowing how to do this? Well, Filoni shows us. She's using the Force. Totally fine. I mean, scene does take a little while. It's only really noticeable from the second watch on because you're wondering the first time, what is she looking for? And then once you see, well, you know, you, you just like, well, hurry up and find it already. The orb seems to be in some kind of kinetic sand sculpture when she finds it. Small spheres, definitely kind of a Star Wars thing, aren't they? You know, like little thermal detonators and things like that you're holding it. And a star chart makes sense. Uh, you know, all of the planets are spheres, the suns and and the solar system and everything, it's kinda like a, a a great big sphere. So this this really kinda made sense to me. I mean, again, why is she looking for a star map to Thrawn? It's not that she's looking at it specifically to find Thrawn. She's gonna find the Pergil or where they went and then that's gonna help her lead her to Thrawn and Ezra. And I really liked how we're introduced to her in the show. I mean, the opening was great. She goes on a little adventure, Indiana Jones style again. And then she takes apart these HK assassin droids that confront her. I I like that they waited for her to find the thing before attacking. Seems like the right move, right? I mean, they don't know what she's looking for. So she does and she finds it. And then there's some combat. I liked... That them losing triggers this self-destruct, something we've seen you know repeated before, uh, before in the Mandalorian with IG11 and and stuff like that. I mean, what the explosion though, for so few of these, the explosion seemed like a little bit overkill. I also liked that the door to her ship, when she's you know open the door, it doesn't open straight back to her. It opens to the side. So, I mean, it's such a small thing. But I nodded at the thought that, yeah, okay, she can still get on, but the universe isn't designed for this purpose of her force jumping on while she's fleeing an explosion. I mean, open the door, it opens that way, and she jumps on. I I, I really kind of thought that that was a nice little touch. It didn't just open f- flat back to her. She had to get on on the side. And then I really enjoyed the conversation that she ends up having with Hu yang i am just following standard jedi mission protocol Hu yang the order doesn't exist anymore nonetheless i have my programming next time stay close watch my back that is the job of a jedi padawan learner which i am not i feel like the world building that's taking place early on is good it's efficient enough to tell people who don't know all about Ahsoka's past that she's not a Jedi. This droid is tied to the Order. And then there's also that sly line about her not having a Jedi Padawan. So does she wish she had one? Did she have one, in a sense? Ahsoka tells Huyang that she found it, meaning the map. How did she find out where it was? Well, Morgan Elsbeth. How did she know that she was telling the truth? Let's just say I didn't follow standard Jedi protocol. <clears throat> Again, it's those small things that add up and tell us more about the character, but also help anchor us who have seen previous shows and we we know where she's at, where her headspace is at. The scene shifts after that in Home One contacts Fulcrum. It's a huge reference for Rebels fans especially. Ahsoka Tano's revealed in that show to be the first mysterious Fulcrum handing out missions to Hera's crew of the Ghost, Specters as they were called. So the new Republic is still using that codename it was used by Cassian Andor for a short time and also Agent Callus. Now if he shows up in this show in live action, he didn't in season or in the first episode, Rebels fans might their heads might actually explode. I mean If we get Agent Kallus, that would be huge. We weren't supposed to meet. That way, if captured, we couldn't reveal the other Rebels to the Empire. That was the protocol. The protocol has changed. Fulcrum? Ahsoka. My name is Ahsoka Tano. Why did you come here? Because of you and your apprentice. Many in this system and beyond have heard your message. You gave them hope in their darkest times. We didn't want that hope to die. I am Fulcrum. (laughs) Yeah, right. You want us to believe that? By the light of Lothal's moons. The code phrase He's Fulcrum? Your friend Zeb trusted me on the ice moon. I saved Sabine Wren at the Fighter Academy, and now I'm trying to save you. But you have to trust me. You don't need to know who he is until they introduce him. And if they don't, then you don't need to know who he is either. So that's the great thing that's happening so far is for those who have watched, they're getting a little bit extra, they're they're sensing a little bit more is on the horizon, but if you don't need to know it, they're not even going to talk about it, right? So you're not missing anything. Ahsoka and Hu Yang fly to the site of the liberation of the prisoner, Elsbeth. Home One is conducting an investigation. It's not docked to it, but it's kind of flying alongside in space. I thought the purple engine flames of the patrolling X-Wings was interesting. And I can't help but think, no matter how many times you see a ship exiting hyperspace, that happened right in front of those X-Wings. It had to make those pilots jump out of their flight suits, right? Come in, Home 1. This is t Six One Nine Seven Four on approach. Over. Copy that, T6. You're cleared for approach. Anger 2-9. Over. Affirmative. T6 out. So that's Ahsoka's shuttle designation. 1974. Not Rosario Dawson's birth year. That's 1979. It is the year Dave Filoni was born. You could also get the six out of the ship, T6, for his birth month of June. And then the T kind of looks like a seven, a little bit. June 7th is his birth date. Well, that's stretching it a little. She's flown a T six for years, so it's not like they just invented that for for this show. But I absolutely think the one nine seven four is the year of Filoni's birth. She docks in a hangar two nine. I mean, I don't know what the significant is significance of that is. Maybe he was twenty nine when he uh, met George Lucas. I don't know. Greeting, Ahsoka, is General. Hera Sindula. It's the first time we've seen her in live action. I mean, not counting the trailers and stuff and the clips, but it definitely brought a smile when she appears. She looks the part in my mind. The touches on her jacket, her gear, the clothing, the way it fit her, it absolutely all worked in my mind. They head to a briefing where Ahsoka learns that two Force Wielders helped Elsbeth escape. This is all exposition for us, okay? Ahsoka doesn't recognize them, if we find that out. One or both could be former Jedi, and no one knows where they went. Hu Yang's going to analyze the video and focus on the lightsabers, because that's what he does. Elspeth hires mercenaries, like Lang, the one that she had as an enforcer on Caladan, and it was the one that uh, the Mandalorian took out, right? Hera knows Ahsoka has been on a mission. She sees the sphere... She guesses it's a star map, but to where? And so it's the location of Thrawn, and by proxy, Ezra. That's not possible. Thrawn died at the Battle of Lothal. His death was never confirmed. I started hearing whispers of his return, which led me to Morgan. So I appreciate the acting, but that line kind of indicates a departure, perhaps, from what we saw in Rebels. In that show... Everyone saw the Purgle above Lothal and then saw the ship disappear into hyperspace with Ezra and Thrawn on board. Now, people might assume that they've been gone for so long that they're dead, but to outright state he died isn't very canon adjacent. I don't know. The line could have been changed. It could have been, you know, it could have kept people who didn't watch Rebels informed. Uh and and stuck to what we know as canon, but that's the line, and that's the response, so that's what we're going with. Elsbeth, Ahsoka says, was a great ally of Thrawn's. Now here, we never saw that in the show, but that's fine. That's new information. It's not a retcon. Ahsoka thinks Elisabeth knows how to find him and that the map is important, and here's the one we see searching for the way to ask about Ezra. She's like trying to figure out how to bring it up. Ahsoka comes off in this scene to me as manipulating. It's like she knows Hera had this hope once, but it's long since dimmed. And now she sees it flickering again. So Ahsoka is going to dangle this mystery to get her to help. You know, she's not sure, but Elspeth thinks she's sure. So that means, hey, we got to be on to something, right? Hera bites. She's in. Let's take a look at this map. We cannot show you the map. The device is locked, and the key to activating it has eluded me. It's never a straight line with you, Jedi, is it? The Rebels fan you might have watched the show with would have chuckled at that, because we don't see him yet, but Hera has a Force-sensitive child, Jason. The father is a former Jedi, former member of the Gross crew, teacher to Ezra, Kanan Jerris, formerly known as Caleb Doom, Padawan of Luminara Unduli. She dies during the Bad Batch season one, episode one. And then he dies at the end of the second, somewhere towards the end, not the second season. He gets blinded. Uh, and then he ends up uh, dying to save the ghost crew towards the end of the series. We we saw his escape from Order 66 in the first moments of the Bad Batch series when his um, you know master died. And, but we know from the last episode of Rebels that Jason exists. Now Hera indicates that Ahsoka already knows who can help with cracking the codex and the key to the map. So, who is this person who will help if asked? And why? You know who could help you with this? I do. Well, I'm not sure she'll want to help. She'll do it. For Ezra. Well, the why is for Ezra, but the Who is Sabine. And where is she? She's not on Mandalore. She's on Lothal, where Rebels watchers might have been familiar with the frequent references to Empire Day during the show. Well, it's not exactly Empire Day. It's like Liberation, Lothal Liberation Day or something. Ryder Azadi, Clancy Brown reprising his voice acting role from the show Rebels. Now he's governor of Lothal dedicating or maybe rededicating this mural painted by Sabine Wren as part of a celebration of the liberation of Lothal. Ezra Bridger is prominently referenced, as he should be, for his apparent sacrifice. The mural is just as it was in the Rebels animated series. We saw it at the very close of the series when it was intimated that she and Ahsoka are going to go off and find Ezra. The ghost crew is flanked by two loath wolves that I can't help but notice now. It's a white and a black one. And there's two wolves of Norse mythology we just mentioned. And they're going to soon hunt them. I don't think these loath wolves are the wolves, Skull, and Hati. But, I mean, it is kind of a coincidence. Sabine's called on to give a speech. But, just like the Von Trapp family singer, she's not there when called. Jai Kel... Once a youth like Bridger is now a senator, Senator Jai Kel, he speaks to save Governor Azadi some embarrassment, and then Azadi sicks some patrol pilots on to Sabine for standing him up. She is not interested in speaking about her friends or this sacrifice. She's riding a speeder bike out to the comp tower that Ezra used to frequent when he was on Lothal. He's from Lothal. She is listening to some space rock and here in the real world it was put together by the Kiner's Ludwig Goranson, Nora Noah Gorlick and Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties in a track called Igya Ka it's character building for those who don't know about her and i mean i think we may have heard that she's an artist but you know we're we're going to find a, a lot more out about her just through these scenes, and Rebels watchers know her as this stubborn Mandalorian teenager who loves art, she's handy fixing things. How do you show that? Well, through stuff like this. She's moved into the tower full time, it seems. She's got a loath cat to keep her company, and on this day, she pulls out a hollow recording of Ezra to, what, cheer her up? We've been through a lot. Grew up together in this rebellion. and We're not really family, but you're like a sister to me. I don't know why Ezra would say that in a recording. I mean, just say, we're like family. Maybe that's the shutdown for the romantic relationship fans, the shippers who constantly go on and on about wishful romances. I don't, I don't think that's going to stop anyone, though. Clearly, there's a close connection, and clearly Sabine misses him. I know your fight isn't over, and now I won't be there to help you. And I'm counting on you to see this through. And the Force be with you. It's just a hologram, but I'm not sure yet about the look of Ezra. I mean, he looks bigger or something. But from Lothal, we head back to what we discover is Arcana. We also hear from Elspeth herself. She is indeed descended from the Sisters of Dathomir. So she's kind of like Merin or Mother Talzin. Meryn is from the Fallen Order and Survivor video games, so if you've played those, you know what I'm talking about. Mother Talzin is from the Clone Wars series. She's basically like Darth Maul's mom. So this scene is for exposition. But wow, we find out about Elspeth, we find out about the planet. Uh we find out the Night Sisters are renowned for the witchcraft based on Shin knowing about her or about them. You know, the Night Sisters were ordered wiped out by Palpatine during the Clone Wars. I think think Count Dooku was supposed to do it? I'm not 100% sure about that. Marin and Elsbeth, though, are two of the only known survivors of this Sisters order. Balin can't find the map, so he's not happy, but why does he want to find Thrawn? I mean, that's my biggest question so far. Why is he teaming up with them, and what's his backstory? Elsbeth defends herself, though. Seemingly sure. No, no, no. Ahsoka's got the map, 100%. Not only that, she seems to know where Tano went. Either Ahsoka let that slip while she was interrogating her, or Elsbeth knows from working with Thrawn. Shin'hati doesn't trust this witch, as she calls her. Balin skull instructs his apprentice to do as Elsbeth says, and he sends her to Lothal. In the background, we see Marak. There's an Inquisitor Blade at his shoulders over his cape, or her cape. I mean, who's in the helmet? We don't know. Skull is Hati's master, but does Merrick have one? Ezra. Back on Lethal, Sabine wakes up startled. She was thinking of Vezra. She's also just in time to see, and hear on alert, that an old friend is arriving. That's most likely not a coincidence. I mean, the Force doesn't do things that way, right? So is she ever so slightly Force-sensitive? She goes to meet Ahsoka, and Azadi's there. Huyang Yang seems to know her. It's a chilly meet for her and Ahsoka, though. There's hurt feelings. She comes aboard the T-6 and looks at a bunk. I got confused, though, because I feel like this should have happened on the Ghost. How often was she or was Ezra on the T-6 with Ahsoka? Why not just have Ahsoka borrow the ghost and show us the inside of that for our nostalgia, but also for some manipulation, like Ahsoka further manipulating Sabine? Maybe there's something I missed in the animated shows. I just don't recall any bunk graffiti in Ahsoka's ship. The meeting place coming together from the ceiling and the floor, that was super cool, right? I mean, it it makes a lot of sense for ship design. This is where Ahsoka mentions the planet Arcana, and she shows Sabine the sphere, and then she wants to take it home. Ahsoka doesn't really seem to trust Sabine. It truly does feel like Ahsoka is holding some sort of grudge. And here is another line from the trailer as well. You never make things easy. Why should I? You never made things easy for me, Master. There is nothing easy about being a Jedi. Well, then I should have made a good one. Yes. You should have. I know Skull called Ren Tano's apprentice. And here, seemingly, Sabine confirms that. But it feels more sarcastic to me, doesn't it, in context? No doubt Kanan and Ezra both trained her to use a lightsaber because of her possessing the Darksaber at one point. I know, again, probably too much information for you, but she needed to know how to use this special Darksaber, which we learned a, a lot more about in The Mandalorian. She needed to know how to use it properly. No doubt, Ahsoka tried training her as well, maybe later on. Here's an example of perhaps, she's older, right, and... Jedi trained their the kids when they were very young, so any latent force sensitivity, if even if it was small, it would be kind of ineffectual at a later age without that training. So maybe she was a little force sensitive at one point, but I just don't think she's capable of becoming a Jedi. And I think that's a really bad move if they just try to make everybody who we love being you know they're all force sensitive. I mean, I'm totally on board with Finn being Force-sensitive, but not everybody, like, Sabine was never, never showed any, I mean, there was never any sign of that, and Kanan surely would have picked up on it before he picked up on Ezra being Force-sensitive in the show Rebels. There was none of that. So, I think it was her desire, maybe, though, maybe it was her desire to find this connection with Ezra that leads to Sabine seeking this training from Ahsoka. Maybe she begged her, like, please. Train me a little bit. And then maybe her failure or Ahsoka's failure at training her was what cut everything short. And then it saw them becoming estranged. Conveniently, Hu Yang took scans of the ruins. So he shows them to everybody. And then he has this update on the identities of the prisoner liberators. So they're having this meeting. They're talking. They're not getting along. Hu Yang comes and interjects. Sabine says, you know, give me the scans. I, I want to take this map. She says, I want to bring it somewhere where I can think more clearly. Now, she says that in front of Hu Yang, which is good, because later he clarifies that to Ahsoka, what Sabine said that she think can think more clearly. But Ahsoka doesn't want the map to leave the ship. She says, I'm trying to prevent war. Okay. Maybe she's had some force visions or something. Everything tells me, though... She knows Sabine will take it, right? But then she leaves the room anyway to talk to Hu Yang. It's all very fascinating, Hu Yang. But do you have any names? Patience. This is where it gets interesting. The updates that one of the lightsabers does ring a bell for him, he names Balin Skull. The identity of Shin, though, remains a mystery. They're both pretty sure the other one is his apprentice, right? Then Ahsoka leaves Hu Yang to seemingly tell Sabine what she just found out. She comes out of the room and she's like, oh, so Sabine, you might want to hear this. Why leave the room to talk to Hu Yang in the first place then? I mean, the plot needs Sabine to take the sphere and leave, right? I mean, that's that's really the, the answer. I mean, she knows she's going to leave with it, but she does it anyways. So Sabine takes the sphere. She goes back to her place. Someone is watching. Shin is on the planet, she's got a probe droid, an echo of a scene where Doth Maul on Tatooine spies on Qui-Gon Jinn and Padme. I love the little echoes like that. Sabine is tinkering in her calm tower abode, and then Ahsoka, oh, she's got this unruly teenager, she calls her bestie, Hera. I mean, she's basically looking for parental advice. She doesn't know how to get what she wants from Sabine. And she wants her to grow up and change. I mean, more manipulation, really. She's just like, tell me how I can get what I want from my teenager. There's about five minutes of Sabine figuring out this puzzle, and Hera and Ahsoka are talking. Five minutes uh, of real time in the episode. But it's all imp- important for character building. I mean, you can't, you can't it's, it's not the best writing or the most interesting puzzle solving, but you have to have this. Otherwise, we're going to say, you know, people are going to wonder what's going on. But, you know, if Sabine had just picked this thing up and then suddenly solved it, people would be up in arms. Like, this is terrible. How can you? How could you just suddenly all, you know, everybody just knows what to do all the time. Maybe there was this balance that could have been stuck though, struck, though. Like an indication that some time had passed. Like maybe a couple of days or something. But it's just, it's a little flat. And the discussion between Ahsoka and Hera is weird because they don't mention her kid. Now, I don't think Felony's going to kill off Jason sandula Hera's son, with Kanan. But the conversation would have maybe gone a little bit smoother with, you know, well, this is how I'm dealing with my situation with my kid in the regards to the questions that Ahsoka is asking. And oh, by the way, why isn't or didn't Ahsoka try to train Jason? Her da- his dad was a Jedi, or a, you know, a, a, at least had trained as, as a Jedi, and and had had to leave the order because of Order Sixty Six. I mean, if it's because Hera doesn't want it, just say so. No, don't leave us hanging. And again, maybe this develops later in the season. But uh, he certainly wasn't with Luke at the temple with Grogu, and she knows Ahsoka very well from Rebels, so. I don't know. Anyway, once Sabine figures out how to unlock this map, I mean, it's really clever and really cool how she does. You know, it's almost like a Rubik's Cube that unlocks. And then, you know, it, it points to a, a far distant galaxy. And it's not in the galaxy that they're in. It shoots a line out at another galaxy. Very interesting. But she goes outside to look up at the night sky. You can't see the other galaxy. You can only see stars in your galaxy. I don't know how she could possibly have figured out just from that one, you know, one brief moment where it's going. And maybe that's not what's going to happen. I mean, there's another episode that's already released. I haven't watched it yet. Maybe I should do that and then it, it, everything will become clear. But it, you know, it's a sweet sentiment that she goes out and, and looks up at the night sky. But then she's met on the 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 tower parapet or whatever the 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 concourse outside with droids, why didn't any alarms trigger i mean an alarm triggered when ahsoka was approaching so why didn't the droid why wasn't there some kind of security for when the droids infiltrated the tower i mean did they just climb up on the outside I mean they took an elevator down so okay, if that's the weakest point in the episode, we'll be okay right. Oh, <laughs> then Sabine pulls out Ezra's second lightsaber on Shin. I mean, I know she had some training and all, but Shin should have made really short work of Sabine, who had elementary training with the lightsaber at best. And and she's got almost no force sensitivity. I mean, you can't retcon that to, to, to all of a sudden she's such a powerful force. user. Shin does strike a killing blow on her but it takes a while to get there and then it's killing blow only in the star wars sense i, I mean you can't maim one of your characters you can't cut off her arm uh y- you know it's a ghost crew member you can't do that in episode one right but she gets the qui-gon jinn Friva savander third sister grand inquisitor special a lightsaber through the chest Best. I mean, we all know that's not fatal, right? (laughs) I mean, you can get cut in half, stabbed through the chest, it doesn't matter. That's where we leave episode one, is she, I guess she passes out on the ground with a lightsaber wound in her chest. Now, I purposefully only watched the first episode, so it would be easier for me to keep my thoughts straight in this first episode. I'll build on what I know for episode two after I watch it, once this episode is completed and released. I really like the end credit sequence. I hope it becomes the intro. I, I doubt a crawl is going to precede every single episode. But maybe it will. Maybe I should have checked on that. Uh, the writing, good enough. Action, good enough. Love lightsabers. The callbacks, references, live action, retelling of things we know from Rebels and the Clone Wars. It wasn't so much that people who didn't watch animated Star Wars would be left in the dark. I felt like it was enough that people that did watch felt, I guess I'll use the phrase, felt seen by Filoni. Andor still remains the gold standard for writing in my book. The Mandalorian remains my favorite because of the story, at least up until the third season where it started to shift away from Wolf and Cub. You know, Mando and Grogu, it started to focus on others. It still wasn't bad, but I liked the the earlier seasons better. I still like Dawson as Tano. I like Winstead as Syndulla. Bordiza did a fine job with Ren. It was cool seeing Lothal and all the people that we know. I hope we see more. It was great seeing the lightsabers and lightsaber action. The hallway scenes on the the capital New Republic ship. Those were great. I do have my concerns about Sabine suddenly being Force Capable in any way. But I'll let that play out. I'm looking forward to seeing Chopper. I hope we see Zeb. I want to see a flashback with Kanan and Ezra maybe, or see Luke. I know people are like, oh, you don't need Luke for everything. But I i mean, he's my favorite character. I'm totally okay with her going to him for, not for advice, but maybe as a sounding board or maybe to explain where Jason is. Maybe Sabine's mom can come back into play. Uh, I mean, House Wren. I think we're going to see a flashback with Anakin. So there's lots on the table for the future. Oh, and there's no way, I I, I am not tricked in any way, shape, or form into thinking Sabine is out of commission. I know she's back for for episode two. The, The next episode's already available, part two. I haven't watched it, but I've seen the trailers. I know she's still around. The description for part two, Ahsoka and General Hera Syndulla travel to New Republic shipyards and make an unexpected discovery. You can send feedback or comments, and I will continue to cover episodes of the show as they become available. Seven more weeks of it. Parts one and two are already out this week. The rest are going to come weekly on Tuesday nights, at least in the Eastern time zone. And then, yeah, Tuesday nights in Pacific as well. In the meantime, join in the discussion with me by sending your thoughts via email. This is the way podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on X or Twitter. Uh, and Instagram at thisisthewaypod facebook.com forward slash thisisthewaypod. Our Linktree site has all the links l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash thisisthewaypod and that's our first episode recap for the first season, season one episode one of Ahsoka I'm going to get to work right away on our thoughts about season one episode two so please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a show I'm your host, Steve Lescauzo, and this is The Way. May the Force be with you, always.